Well, hey, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. My name is Austin, one of the pastors here, and uh, excited to open up God's Word as we kick off our new series on faith in Hebrews chapter 11. So we're going to dive in. We're going to be in Hebrews 11 in the beginning of the book of Genesis. And so you can open up your Bibles there. Uh, As you're getting there, here's the question to start your morning off. What's the biggest step of faith you've ever taken? What's the biggest step of faith that you have ever taken? Uh, Well, I sat down with a man named David Winter about a year ago, and uh, David uh, is, we work together at Sandhills Publishing. He's a successful salesman. He's in his 60s. He's got kids, grandkids. Uh, His age, most of his peers are uh, buying a condo in Florida where they will relax until they die, but God is writing a different story in his life. Uh, See, as we're sitting there for lunch, uh, David uh, told me that he felt God calling him and his wife to sell everything they have, quit their jobs, and move to Haiti to start or to lead an orphanage that is uh, currently existing there that didn't have leaders. Okay, now mind you, these are normal people. Like you know, you're like, oh, that's just you know, they're probably crazy heroes of the faith. No, they're like normal people. She was uh, she worked in a church. Uh, I think doing administrative stuff, and he works at Sandhills, and yet God, in in their pretty uneventful life, did this crazy beautiful thing, called them to faith, and he explained, hey, Austin, I'm concerned about my diabetes. I don't know if I'll be able to get the right medication to Haiti. Um, uh, I don't know how we're going to sell everything and let everything go. Like, I'm just concerned uh, about how we're going to do that and all the keepsakes and how we're going to try and keep those. And I don't know how to raise support. And I don't know if you have a book on how to lead an orphanage for dummies. You know what I mean? Like, I you just don't know. And amidst all of those questions, amidst all of those things, I'll never forget what he said. Um, he said, Austin, I, I've been walking with Jesus for about 30 years now. And as I look back, I don't think I've actually ever taken a step of faith. What I've done is everything God's called me to, I've built, slowly built a stable bridge and then walked over once it's stable to what God's calling me to. But now I'm jumping before the bridge is built. I'm going to jump before the bridge is built. And and it was so powerful. And so church, I don't know where you're at this morning. Uh, maybe as you think that, maybe your life has been marked by walking across stable bridges, right? Feels like faith, but it's kind of just a cheaper substitute for it. Maybe as you're thinking, as I just asked in the beginning, that can you think of what's your biggest step of faith? Maybe you can't think of anything, right? And if that's you, I just want to let you know that you're not alone. Like, faith is hard, right? Faith isn't our natural bent. Um, We like safe. We like secure. We like stable. And yet I'm praying that God, through these verses, through his word, will compel our safe, timid hearts into a risk-taking faith that trusts God because he's faithful. Amen? So that's where we're going. That's what we're going to do. I'm trusting he's going to do an amazing thing this morning. And so just briefly to cover what we're going to do, we're going to define faith, we're going to look at displays of faith, and we're going to end by looking at the doctrine of faith, okay? So let's start by uh, defining faith in verses 1 and 2 together. Uh, So we'll read, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. All right, so the author starts off, says, hey, uh, when we're talking about faith, I'm just going to quickly give you the definition. He says, here it is, verse 1, it's the assurance of things hoped for, and it's the conviction of things not seen, okay? Uh, And so just breaking those two apart, um, 
as a dad, I've committed my life to do my best to never break a promise to my daughter, okay? And uh, it's a lofty goal, but my prayer is that every word I would say to her would be true, and I would carry that. And so every Friday morning, I spend uh, the morning until lunchtime with Gracie, so Kristen can get some alone time to rest and be with Jesus. And uh, so every Thursday night, Gracie will ask me, hey, Dada, you going to take me to the jumping place? It's like this urban air on 70th of Andor. And I'm like, of course, sweetheart. I'd love to take you to urban air, you know? And so guess what the first thing she says when she wakes up on Friday morning? Dada, let's go to the jumping place. You know, she's like, she brings me her little special socks and her little like athletic outfit and her water bottle and her diaper bag. Like she's ready. And I mean, that girl is assured of what she hopes for, right? She is convicted of what she can't yet see because she knows her dad's going to deliver on his promise. Amen. And this is what verse 1 says that faith is, right? Uh, it's the convict, it's the assurance of what we hope for. And so, friends, we hope for something so much greater than our dad taking to us to a jumping place, right? Like, we hope that, uh, that we'll get to spend eternity with Jesus, We hope that he'll come back someday to make all things new. We hope that Jesus' death on the cross was sufficient for all of our sins, and faith is the assurance of those things. We know that those are true and are going to happen. Amen? And he also says it's the conviction of things not seen. Now, I want you to note really quick, both definitions of faith involve some sort of leap right? Like some sort of jump where you can't see it, you, you can't hold it, but you're believing it's there, right? Um, a few years ago, my wife's grandpa was declining in health, and so we went to visit him in the nursing home, and he just kept saying, I, I want to go home. I want to go home. And uh, it was heartbreaking. We told him, Frank, you, you can't take care of yourself, man. You, you, you got to stay here, and they're going to take care of you. And he kept insisting. He kept saying it until my wife's dad had the wisdom to say, hey, where, where is home? And he said, um, when, when I crossed the Jordan. It's beautiful. Friends, Frank had faith, the assurance of what he was hoping for. He had the conviction of what he couldn't yet see. And then when he says cross the Jordan, it's a reference to when the Israelites, God's people, after the wilderness, finally crossed the Jordan River into the promised land. Friends, Frank was ready to go home to heaven, to be with Jesus. He had faith, right? Although he couldn't see heaven, that he was going to spend the next five billion years with Jesus. He had faith. He was assured. He was convicted of what he couldn't yet see, that Jesus was going to take him, that his last breath here on earth would be the transition of everlasting glory with Jesus Christ, right? Uh, Faith is the assurance of what we hope for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, that's awesome, right? There's your definition, but here's the problem. We live in a prove-it world, don't we? Like with phones in our pocket, we, we want proof that you saw that celebrity in the airport, right? Prove it, you know? I mean, and so as technology has advanced, it's actually become easier for us to be less trusting. We want to see to believe, And so here's the question that we've got to wrestle with. How in the world, in our culture, in our society today, do we have faith, right? And I want to make this really clear, church. Jesus isn't inviting us into a blind faith, 
right? He's not inviting you into a blind faith. Like trusting in Jesus isn't like throwing a random dart in the dark and hoping it hits somewhere. No, God has proven himself for thousands of years. I mean, the Bible is this beautifully written story that's eloquent and, and detailed and has geographically historical, like accurate details. I mean, uh, the whole book, 66 authors, but the same story. Uh, it's, it's beautiful. Um, our calendar is based on Jesus being uh, uh, Jesus being born, right? Non-religious historians agree that there's a man named Jesus that was born 2,000 years ago and died on a cross, right? And you may push back and say, Austin, I mean, I get some of those things, but how am I supposed to believe in a God that I can't see? Okay, well, show of hands. This is actually, I want you to raise your hand if you do this. Uh, raise your hand if you believe in the wind. Raise your hand if you believe in the wind, right? Everyone's hand should be raised. Why? Have you ever taken a picture with it? Have you ever held it in your hands? No, but you've seen its effects, right? And it's the, we, we, we don't get to grab, take a picture with God, but we see his work all over. And so if you're in Citigroup this week, ask your Citigroup, hey, how have you seen Jesus work? And watch his effects. If you get time after the gathering or on your way out, ask somebody, how have you seen God work? Friends, I've seen people moments from a suicide with a gun in their hands and pills next to them, lay it down, trust in Jesus, and find life and joy. I've seen porn addicts, men and women both, set free from addictions deeply. Drug addicts meet Jesus, be addicted to him and his glory and his grace. Um, uh, I've seen religious rule followers lay their religious resume down and trust that Jesus is good and finally have rest. I've seen murderers, people imprisoned, find forgiveness in Jesus. And I'm not talking about my whole life. I'm talking about the last three years I've seen this. Like real stories of real people, real names I could give you right now of every single one of those. And so I want to tell you, this isn't a blind faith you're invited into, right? We've seen God prove himself. And so I want to ask you, City Light, where have you seen his effects in your life? Where have you seen him moving in your life and the people around you? And so check it out. As we look back to God's faithfulness, we can look forward in faith right? Not a blind faith. Back in faithfulness, forward in faith. And then our next verses make clear that faith isn't this kind of abstract agreeance to some facts. No, it's a, it's a real lifestyle that lives in light of that faith, all right? So let's look at the displays of faith. We'll be in verses three through seven, but um, uh, the chapter, just real quick to kind of preface it, is commending people for their faith. And um, throughout the chapter, it, every story starts with by faith, and it goes on to the person, right? And this is crazy, but the first thing the author commends by faith is those of us who believe that God exists, and he created the world, okay? That God created the world. So if you guys um, have your Bibles, uh, flip back to Genesis 1, first page of your Bible, and we're just going to read the first three verses real quick to get some context. Genesis 1, 1 through 3. Um, there's theologians who said the healthiest sound a church can have is uh, pages flipping in their Bibles. So uh, it's an encouraging sound to hear you open up your Bibles. Uh, Verse 1 through verse 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering, hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. All right, so real clear. 
nothing existed. There was no earth, no form, complete void. God existed and God created it all and he spoke it and now his word created everything we see, right? So here's the question I've been wrestling with. Why would the author start out with this as the first commendable faith? right? Like Moses' story is way more radical and legendary than this. Like it's simple. Like a lot of us believe that God created the world. And so I think there's two main reasons. Number one, to believe God created the world is to believe the unseen created the seen. You with me? Uh, And so this is the preface of faith, right? It's the essence of it, a confidence in what you can't grab or see or touch, Right? I know we joke around about some of the older people in the room, but you weren't here either when the world was created. Like, no one, none of us were here, right? And, and yet we believe that way back then, God created all of it. Okay? Psalm 1911 says that the, the heavens declare your glory, the sky proclaims your handiwork. And I remember, I'm sure you've had moments like this too, standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon at 20 years old thinking, man, this didn't happen on accident. I remember holding my daughter for the first time, looking at her beauty and intricacy and thinking, this didn't happen on accident. Friends, the beauty of this world, the the intricacy, the detail is a sermon from God saying, I did it all. Like I created it. I exist and I made it all proclaiming and pushing us towards his glory, right? And so, so we see the creator through the creation. We see the unseen through the seen, right? I think that's the first reason he brings it up. The second reason is that if you can't trust God's first act, then you can't trust his second, okay? Uh, throughout all of the Bible, of all the ways God could have started it, he chooses to start by telling us that he created the world, That's his first thing, okay? And so if you can't believe that, then how can you believe the next thing, right? In other words, if the first page isn't true, then the last one isn't either. And friends, we don't get to pick and choose what we believe about God. We look in his word, trust that he is sovereignly protected and inspired and written this, and we trust every single word to be true, right? And so the first act of faith that is commended is those of us who believe that God created the universe, Second, let's look at the faith of Abel, okay? So verse 4 in Hebrews 11. Uh, By faith, uh, Abel offered to God a more acceptable uh, sacrifice than Cain, uh, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. All right, so to give some background on the story, God creates Adam and Eve, first two humans. They have two boys initially, Cain and Abel. The boys both bring gifts to God. Uh, God only commends Abel's gift. Cain gets angry, jealous, and ends up killing his brother. So the first act of murder in our existence was Cain jealously murdering Abel, right? And so uh, here's the question we got to wrestle with, is what set Abel's faith apart? What set his, why is he commended as faithful, and why did God commend his gift? Well, flip back. Let's hear those pages turn. Genesis 4. Uh, we're going to look at the story originally. We'll read uh, verse 2 through verse 5. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, you don't have an excuse. We've got uh, them around the door. There's blue ones you can take on your way out. We'd love for those to be a gift to you. Uh, Genesis 4, verse 2 through 5, we'll read. And again, uh, she, talking about Eve, bore his brother Abel. 
Now, Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain was a worker of the ground. Uh, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. All right? Uh, so Cain works the ground. And Abel were, uh, looks over the sheep. They each come with a gift to God. Cain brings some fruit, and Abel brings the firstborn of the flock, and then some fat portions, right? And God only has regard for Abel's gift, which makes Cain angry. Now, I really just, I first out want to just point out that it's not a value difference. Like, God isn't changed, like, he doesn't commend Abel because, um, you know, a sheep is more valuable than a bag of peaches, okay? Uh, it's, it's not like that. And if that were true, if God commended based on value or an amount difference, then God would favor people who can give more, okay? Which is absolutely false, right? In fact, in Mark chapter 12, Jesus is in the temple, and he, watched all these pe- he watches all these people put a bunch of money, large amounts of money, into a, a temple offering, like a giving box, and he sees this poor old widow drop two pennies in, and he calls the disciples over. He says, hey, boys, she gave more than everyone else. Now, clearly, he wasn't talking about amount, right? Jesus was talking about sacrifice, okay? So in light of that, it's not a value difference. It's not an amount difference. It's a sacrifice difference. Uh, And one of the things that strikes me, and it should strike you too, is that Cain still gave a gift to God, you know what I mean? Like, he's still out a bag of peaches if that's what he gave God. You know, like, if he's, in, if he's in our church, like, dude, drop the 20 in the giving box on the way out. You know, like, what's wrong with that? Why not commend his gift too? Well, if what we just learned is true, then maybe it's because Cain's gift didn't contain sacrifice. Maybe there was nothing sacrificial about it. Um, see, all we hear about Cain and his gift is that he brought some fruit. Not what kind or how many or in what condition. And Abel, we get more detail. He brought uh, the firstborn of the flock and fat portions. So as a shepherd, uh, each sheep matters, right? You're entrusted to every single one of them. They all matter. And so for Abel to give the firstborn is him communicating, God, I am trusting you with my first, trusting in faith that you're going to provide the rest right? That's what he's communicating by that, right? So he gave his first to God. And then it says that he gave his fat portions. Now, raise your hand if you've ever had some delicious burnt ends from a legit barbecue restaurant, okay? Anybody? Don't even get me started because I'm going to need someone to go pick it up, right? Like just communion, burnt ends, you know, and some sweet tea. <laughs> it's not okay, Lord. I'm sorry. Anyways, <laughs> uh, um, but, but they're delicious, right? I mean, burnt ends are literally the best part of the meal, and, and, and Abel gave them to God. The best part of the meal gave them to God. And so not only did Abel give his first, but he gave his best. Tracking with me? Um, and, uh, and, and this, is, this is maybe the distinction between him and Cain, is that Cain it doesn't say that about his gift. It feels more like leftovers, right? Which is why God commended Abel for his faith and not Cain. And so uh, tracking through this, here's the display of faith for us. You ready? Uh, Abel shows us that faith is investing our best and first in the kingdom of God, not this world. Okay? Faith that Abel shows us is investing in the kingdom of God, our best and first, 
uh, not the world, and the unseen, not the seen. And so when my wife and I sit down to work our budget, we immediately set aside what we feel like Jesus has called us to give to his mission in his church, in his uh, global kingdom advancing, right? So that matters to us. Our house, our vehicles, our kids, our adventures, our internet bill, all of those get the leftovers, not God, okay? In other words, our giving dictates our spending. It's not the other way around, okay? And I know that for a lot of us in the room, just with, uh, just with the climate that we have in our culture, like the credit card culture, it's easy to kind of let your spending dictate your giving, in other words, we kind of spend, and this is just the habit we've got, and this is the debt we need to pay off. And at the end of the month, you kind of look, I probably give to Jesus and his church, and so kind of scrape together some money and put it in the offering box. Now hear me, while I'm so thankful for that, it sounds a lot more like Cain's gift than Abel's gift, right? Church, Jesus doesn't just care that you gave a gift. He doesn't just care about the amount. He cares about the sacrifice behind it, right? The, 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 the cost behind that gift. Abel had faith that giving sacrificially to God was better than keeping the best for himself, right? That, that was where his faith came. He had faith, although his sacrifice went to the unseen, that it was better to invest there than the seen, than the world, right? And now Abel, it says Abel's blood speaks. It speaks to his faithfulness to God and God's faithfulness, and it calls us into that same faithfulness. And so church, my call to us is would we give God our best and our first, not our leftovers, right? To his global mission, to his advancement of the local church and his gospel through our city. Next, let's look at the story of Enoch in verse 5. Okay, verse 5, Hebrews 11. Uh, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was committed as having pleased God. All right, so Enoch, our boy, some of you are probably like, I don't, know who that dude, I don't even know who that is. You know, he's got four verses in the entire Bible about him. All right, and so you can flip, and he's the least mentioned of anyone in Hebrews 11. So flip over to Genesis 5, just one from where we were. And we'll get to read his really expansive, exhaustive story. You ready for it? Uh, Enoch, Genesis 5, together, 21 through 24. All right. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God, and after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. All right, all we know, he was a dad, lived 365 years, uh, he walked with God, and God took him up to be with him, right? That's what we know about him. And in these short verses, it mentions twice that Enoch walked with God. So he, they want, the author wants to draw this out to us, right? This matters. So here's the question, what does it mean to walk with God, and why was that commended as faithful, all right? Uh, to walk with God means to have close fellowship with him, to have deep intimacy, to have a vibrant friendship. And there's this woman named Linda Dye that uh, lives in Omaha, and I got to know her when I was on staff at City Light in Omaha. And so um, she's been a widow for several years now, and um, she, one of the ways that she would serve the church is come in and clean our offices. And so I'd be in there every Thursday morning, and Linda would come in and start to clean the offices, and I'd always try and check in on her and see how she's doing. And 
One morning, as I checked in on her, she just said, oh, man, I'm, I'm really struggling. Uh, I miss my husband a lot, and I need prayer. And so in the hallway that day, Linda and I prayed together. And after my polished prayer with several verses that I threw in, Linda prayed. And it was unlike anything I've ever heard. It, it, it felt like she was just talking to her best friend that was right in front of her. I mean, just this comfortable friendship conversation. It was amazing. And I just realized, man, for most of us, we come to God in prayer like we're reading from a prepared note card, you know, that we prepared for a speech in class. And Linda just is talking to her best friend. And, and you know what that showed me about her? Man, that woman has spent a ton of time talking to Jesus, right? It's beautiful. And this is the way that Enoch's relationship with God is described for us. And so here's where our sin and our lack of faith come in. We keep ourselves busy, don't we? Like we think we're too busy for time with Jesus. And if we can just collectively admit it's okay, we love watching TV and movies, right? There's just something about kicking back and binge watching Netflix or Hulu or whatever, or the Avengers. You need to pray for Mike and probably 99% of you guys. Anyway, and me too. Uh, anyways, uh, um, but there's something nice about it, right? And I, I want to be clear, there's nothing wrong with watching TV, okay? Um, but in my marriage and in my life, I've seen that watching TV is the primary thief of time with Jesus in my life, right? That's what takes a lot of time. And, and, and so here's the question, in light of faith, in light of what God's calling us to, is do you have faith that walking with God is more valuable, more beneficial, more refreshing than watching TV. And maybe it's not watching TV for you. Like, it doesn't have to be. But whatever takes up your time, whatever fills your calendar, is it more beneficial for your soul than time with Jesus? Friends, it takes faith to turn the TV off and pick up your Bible. It takes faith to turn your phone off and start to pray. It takes faith to believe the unseen is actually better than the seen. Okay? Um, and so this is, this is what Enoch's faith is calling us into. Here's kind of the key. Enoch shows us that to have faith to just be with God, to just be with God. I mean, no agenda, no, no verse you're going to share on social media, you know, in a picture with your Bible neatly laid out and your coffee next to it. Like, no, just, just you and Jesus, right? And I just have to ask, as, as your loving friend and pastor, what does your alone time with Jesus look like? Like, do you make time for him just alone? And I'm so glad that you're here on Sunday morning. I'm glad if you're in city group, but friends, that won't last. That won't do it. That's not walking with God in its entirety. Uh, what does your alone time look? Have you ever just taken time to just be with God, to come to him for no other reason than himself, right? Enoch teaches us what it looks like to just be with him. Oh, uh, and so, man, this is faith, right? To turn the TV off, to shut your phone off, to ignore the next house project, to say no to the, the uh, thing that all your friends are doing, to put down the gaming control. It takes faith to believe that that is be that walking with God is better than those things. And then, by the way, it says that Enoch, dude, just got taken up, you know? Like, right now, like, I just get zapped up. You're like, he gone, you know? Like, he must have been walking with God, you know? Like, if I don't see you guys next week, I'm going to assume that happened to you, okay? No, uh, this isn't normal. But listen, you may not feel this way right now, but the greatest joy you'll ever experience is in the presence of God. 
not getting married, not watching your kids get married, not adventuring around the world, not growing old with your best friends, the greatest joy we'll ever experience is basking in the eternal presence of Jesus and Enoch got what he asked for. And so if God answered your deepest longing of your heart, would it be to zap you up to be with him right now? Or would it be to give you a little more comfort and ease here on earth? Enoch shows us the faith to just be with God. And lastly, let's look at the story of Noah. Okay, verse 7 with me. By faith, in Hebrews 11, by faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. Uh, all right, so I know that a lot of us are familiar with the story of Noah. It's pretty widespread, whether or not you grew up in the church or are familiar with Jesus. Um, but Adam and Eve, first two humans, sin enters the world through them, and then sin just starts to wreak havoc and wreck stuff, right? And so sin's run, run, running rampant. It's horrible. God sees all of it, is disgusted by all the sin, but he sees one righteous man, one commendable man named Noah. And so he comes to Noah and says, hey, dude, I want to let you know, uh, I am going to wipe out the world. Kind of bad news, but I'm going to keep you and your family. I'm going to start fresh with you. And so all I need you to do is build an ark. It's going to take you a long time, but build it and save your family and then collect all these different animals. And the crazy thing is Noah does it, okay? And I know we have the pictures of the ark and all that stuff, but that's crazy that he did it. Okay? It's the essence of faith. So Hebrews 11, concerning events yet unseen, Noah builds an ark to save his family, right? It's the essence of faith. Uh, he heard from God and he did it immediately. He responds to him and, and, and trusts him, right? And just can you imagine how crazy it would be for Noah, by the way? Like, hey, build an ark. There's not, wa there's not water anywhere around me. Yeah, yeah, but I'm going to bring water. Okay, God, I'm going to trust you. Okay, I'm going to save your family. I'm going to wipe out the whole world. Are you sure? Like, is there no, no other plan? No, this is what I'm going to do. Okay. Oh, and by the way, you're going to be a zookeeper for decades. You know what I mean? Like, and go build everything and, and take them and get them. You know, it's crazy. And Noah did it. And so here's my question. How crazy would Noah look if the flood never came? Can you imagine? Dude's like, look, I got the ark. They're like, congratulations. Like, you just wasted decades of your life. Like, he would look like a complete lunatic if the flood never came. And friends, that's precisely what faith is. That's precisely what faith is. Noah shows us that faith is being willing to look crazy because we trust God's faithful right? When Mo and I and Colleen and Kristen uh, prayed and felt God calling us to plant a church three years ago, this church, people thought we were crazy, and rightfully so. You know what I mean? They're like, no. Like, and, and we just felt like God called us. We're like, we just know he wants to have a gospel-centered church in Lincoln, Nebraska, and we want to be the ones to answer that call. And so we moved. Friends, no building, uh, very few people, uh, no real finances or anything like that, but we just had the call of God, and we knew. It said, hey, guys, would you come August 2016? We're going to start this thing. It's going to be crazy. Come and join us. And so on August 28, 2016, <laughs> we would have looked crazy if no one showed up. Like, I can just picture, like, Colleen and Kristen right here. We're like, hey, girls, thanks for coming. Uh, Mo, you want to take this one? You want to take the word? Okay, you know, like, we would have looked crazy, but here's the deal. We don't care. Who cares if we look crazy? We know we heard from God. We trust the unseen. Who cares if the seen thinks we're crazy because we believe in him? And by God's grace, we trust him. He provided, right? And he does it every time in beautiful ways. And so City Light, I have to ask, where is God calling you to look a little bit crazy for his glory? 
And if I can encourage you as a friend and a pastor, do it. Like, step out and watch him do amazing things. The last thing we see is, um, is the doctrine of, of, of faith, right? So um, look at verse 6 with me. Uh, and without faith, it's impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and he rewards those who seek him. So doctrine is just a set of beliefs, and we're going to look at three that verse 6 describe. Point one, or number one in this doctrine, is that it's impossible to please God without faith, okay? So to be clear, here's the application. Your church attendance, congratulations, your religious resume, your Bible study attendance, your lengthy prayers, all the verses you memorize have not gotten you anywhere with God by themselves, okay? Uh, No, faith is the only way to please God. God. And so if you're trying to make him happy by becoming better and working harder, here's my pastoral advice, stop. Right? Verse 6 actually implies to try to please God through works would be displeasing to him. Right? No, we please him by faith and faith alone. So stop trying and start trusting that Jesus' death on the cross was actually enough for you. Amen? That's what pleases him. Two, second doctrine, believe he exists. In order to have faith in him, you obviously have to believe that he exists, that he's there for you. Doctor number three, he rewards those who seek him. If you're going to have faith in God, you've got to believe that he will reward you if you seek him, all right? Now, I want to be clear, this isn't supposed to give you the picture of a vending machine that shoots out Snickers, right? Or a parent that gives you allowance every week. The ultimate reward for those who seek God is God himself. Okay, so as we come to him by faith, the only way to please him, uh, we believe he exists, and we believe that he rewards those who seek him, and we get himself. We get God himself, the greatest treasure you could ever have. In Romans 10, 11, it says that everyone who draws near to God, everyone who comes to him, will not be put to shame, right? This is the invitation, you get God himself. Now, in light of all of that, friends, I have to end by telling you that Jesus did it better. In light of all those displays of faith, Jesus was more faithful. Listen, Jesus was the better Abel. He gave a sacrifice like Abel, but it wasn't a lamb, it was himself. And not only, so not only does Jesus' blood speak like Abel's, but it saves. Amen? Jesus did it better than Enoch. He walked intimately with God always. And at the end of his life, he was taken up to be with the Father in heaven. But before he got taken up, he didn't just poof. No, he literally died a horrible, painful death for you and I. He did it better than Enoch. And don't be fooled, Jesus did it better than Noah. His act of faith didn't just save his household. His act of faith saved people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation throughout the entire world. That's what he did. And as Noah's ark has its door closed and no one else can get, it, can get in, he's condemning the world. But Jesus' ark now, door is open and he's inviting you. Come in and be rescued and find refuge from the devastation eternally that's deserved to you. Hide in me. Jesus did it better than Noah, than all of them. And friends, this is the God we put our faith in. And he's worthy of it. So I'm begging you, Spirit of God, help us have faith because you are worthy of our faith. And this morning we get to take communion, which is a beautiful display of faith that we are taking the unseen, taking the seen, believing it represents the unseen. As you take that bread, 
and you dip it in the juice, it's representing Jesus is what we can't see right now, that he really did die. He broke his body. He shed his blood for you, and we take it in joyful remembrance. And so if you're a believer, come enjoy this meal in faith. As you take it, beg God to give you even more faith. If you're not a believer, give your life to Jesus, man. If you haven't, I promise you it's the best decision you'll ever make. He is faithful. And if you aren't there yet, I'd encourage you to stay seated and reflect and, uh, and uh, examine that. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to continue to sing, and uh, we'll take communion together.